0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much, and enjoy today's podcast.
1: Welcome to the Spoken Gospel
0: Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, how are you? I'm I'm
1: uh, hesitant. You're hesitant. My heart is melting within me.
0: You're hesitant for harem.
1: I'm hesitant <laughs> to talk about harem. Uh, yeah, so this is a special episode today. Yep. We are about to get into the, really the first conquest narrative mm-hmm. uh, in the book of Joshua uh, in the battle of Jericho and in the battle of Ai followed by many more. Um, And before we did that, we kind of wanted to answer an objection people commonly have to the book of Joshua in general, but Christianity kind of as a whole. Yes. Like, is God guilty of genocide? Mm -hmm. Um, Because he commands for the merciless slaughter of men, women, and children. And a God who does that is not worth worshiping. That's kind of the most blunt way to yes. say say it, and the Book of Joshua is used as proof that God is a merciless God who commands the slaughter of men, innocent men, women, and children. Yes, um, and by implication, sometimes even that that means this is the reason why the Crusades happened, and this, right. is, and then that means also God could command the same thing today, and Christians would yep. go out and do it. That's right. So the, that's kind of all on the table, and we wanted to kind of clear the air before we talked about all that. Um, and then so and talk about that question.
0: Yes, so this will be a, a different episode than tip than, than normal. One because we're kind of taking a whole idea rather than just a specific text. Mm-hmm. And two, it'll be intrinsically more controversial and a little probably a little more deep than normal. We we, we might be getting into like, like logic, philosophy, <laughs> logic. Wait, what? <laughs> logic, philosophy, uh. things like that. In order to address this question, uh, views, you know, like theology, views about God, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. So, buckle up. Yeah, uh, let me say at the outset. Yeah, you know, get your notes app ready, or your pen and paper, or your email, or your voice memo taker. Oh, and if yeah. you have any questions about this uh, as you listen, which I hope you do, um, email them to us at info. Or nope, not that one. Different, different podcast. email. Podcast at spokengospel.com. Podcast, singular, podcast at spokengospel.com. What happens if they sign- send
1: it to podcasts? I don't S. think, I think
0: it'll bounce. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: No No. like random like person out there. I don't think so. Collecting. We own the domain.
0: So uh <laughs> And so anyway, uh, so type out your your, um, your question and we can read it on air when we answer it. Or even better, use your phone or your computer to record your voice asking the question yourself uh, so we can play it on air and kind of everybody can hear your voice and yeah. hear your question. So anyway, um, and if you can, let us know where you're from when you do that. And we'd love to know where you are in the world whenever you ask that question. So Seth, when we think about this question of is God guilty of, of genocide? Yeah. Is uh, that the question we're answering? Yeah. Okay. We can answer that question. (laughs) Where does this, where does this conversation start? Like,
1: I I think meaning like uh, in the mind of the question, person asking the question or in scripture, like,
0: yeah, I I guess where's the battleground that we're going to here? Like, like what's the question we have to answer the linchpin of the argument? the,
1: The idea is God's not good. If he commands these things, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I I think that's what's on the line. Yeah, and by extension, if God's not good, he's not worth trusting, and neither is his word. Right. Um. So there is like the our view of scriptures on the line, our view of God is on the line, and even like some in some sense, like our ethics are on the line. Like, do we do the same things now? And I feel like that do we do the same things now? And just because God commanded Joshua to destroy uh, men, women, and children in Jericho. Does that mean we should as well? I think that's the easiest one to answer, Mm. just by virtue of God makes gives different commands to different people at different times under different circumstances. And we're just, none of those things apply anymore. Mm. And there's a difference between reading about God doing something at one point in time and then prescribing it for a different point of time now, especially after um, a new covenant era. So like we have a, a covenant that God made with Abraham to give them the land. And that covenant is being fulfilled in Joshua's leadership. Right. But in Jesus, the land that we have been given has already been given by virtue of Jesus' death on the cross. Yes. The whole world is his. We already live in the land, and we are going out and proclaiming the gospel as a new type of, not conquest, but yes, conquest. Yeah, conquest against, it's like, but against a, spiritual enemies. Against like spiritual enemies yep. and the darkness That's pushed back by the words of the gospel. You've been saved from your sin by the acts of Jesus. Yeah. Repent and believe. Paul (laughs) says
0: in the New Testament, like, our weapons are not against flesh and blood. You know, those aren't our enemies. But instead, they're against any thought even, any thought that would put itself against the gospel of Jesus. Like, so we're going after logical arguments that are opposed to the truth statement, Jesus is God who died and rose again.
1: So the really simple answer to people who say, well, because God commanded it here, he must be commanding Christians to do it now, is simply like, I just don't think... That's not the way the Bible presents its own commands. That's no. not the way covenants work within Scripture. Um, I, think, I think there's a clearer way to... to okay.
0: To, to, I think there's a straighter line to draw, because okay. I think it can be confusing to say... Well, like, yeah, God commanded that then, but he doesn't now. And it's like, well, why? How do you know it stopped? Like, I just think it, yeah, yeah. it adds more questions okay. than it answers. I think a better way to say it is what you've just said, is, is that the reason why the conquest of the land is over is because the conquest of the <laughs> land is over. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> The conquest of the land was um, a, a physical um, project of a much larger spiritual physical reality. Like the land being this Garden of Eden um, 2.0 was to be taken over and it was given to Abraham, but it was inhabited. Like people had stolen the yeah. land that wasn't theirs anymore. And so they had to drive them out. And then those that weren't driven out, they had to utterly destroy so that they could dwell in this land, make it pure, and live with God again. Garden 2.0. Right. They failed that project. And yeah. so Jesus comes and he does it differently. He does it by dying on the cross, being haremmed himself, yeah, ha- yeah, devoting himself, himself to destruction. Exactly. He and, is yeah. God's
1: child that is destroyed right so, and,
0: and, and he he gives us a new heavens and a new earth yeah. a, a, a Garden of Eden 3.0 you know yeah, and yeah. it's like the the job is done. So it's like while yes, it's very helpful to have conversations about like what Old Testament commands are still in place today. I just think there's a shorter line to draw. It's right. like the conquest of the land is over because the conquest of the land is over. So we don't do that anymore. Yes. And um, and so anyway, I just think that's really helpful. The other thing to, to name uh, in that, and if you're listening to this, you're like, they're never going to get to my real problems. Right, yes, right, we are. Yeah. We're just dealing with the lowest hanging fruit first. Yeah. The other thing is like, there's a difference between prescription and description in scripture.
1: Description meaning describing what's happening versus this telling happened. you to do it. Yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah, this happened versus do this, mm-hmm. right? This was done instead of do this is mm-hmm. kind of the, the difference of description and prescription. The Bible can describe things happening like polygamy, right? Without prescribing that you do polygamy, yeah. that you have multiple wives. Yeah. And so um uh, anyway that's like yeah.
1: and the narrative will also tell you whether yes. something or not is a good or a bad idea yep and polygamy the yeah. pa- the, the patriarchs that engage in polygamy end up having pretty terrible home lives yeah. <laughs> like the narrative self gives you God's judgment of what's happening there anyway yeah so, most of the time most of the time yeah I'm yeah.
0: I'm like thinking about like David's polygamy and mm. having trouble seeing
1: except the loss of his kingdom I guess like the broader narrative yeah anyway, anyway yeah but, unimportant yes <laughs>
0: The, the the conquest is the over conquest, the conquest is over because the conquest is over, and the conquest isn't for us because the commands weren't given to us, they were described to us. Mm-hmm. And so it's just different. So okay, that was one of three things you listed, and yeah. I feel like that was the easiest one that to was deal the with. Easiest one to that do. like, hey, like let's not have the argument be, well, we can't have the conquest of Canaan in the Old Testament, because then we could just do that today and that would be messed up. It's like, no, you're missing the point. Yeah. So that's not it. So the other two things you said were uh, it
1: it puts God's goodness on the line. Yeah. Right. Is God good if He commands the slaughter of innocent children? Yes. Uh, uh, and then yeah. it was our understanding of God's word as like truthful or authoritative. Okay. Right. For us.
0: So which one do you want to do next? Because those are both really important.
1: Yeah, and I think they kind of blend together. A okay. Little
0: bit. Yeah. I mean, I I so I think I think one the conversation could go if it was the 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 scripture is on the line, the conversation would move toward. Um, like double authorship of scripture, dual authorship Mm -hmm. of scripture? Did God write scripture? Did man write scripture? Did they write it together?
1: Yeah, some people try to solve the problem of God's commands to Joshua to kill men, women, and children uh, by saying, well, that's, well, God is one author of scripture and man is a secondary author of scripture. And the secondary author of scripture can get it wrong or can uh, import his own selfish, foolish, Mm -hmm. bloodlusty... Cultural. Cultural ideas onto it. Right. And while there is a divine good principle that God has was is communicating through yep. the authors of Scripture. It's tainted in some yeah. way.
0: It, the, the worst example of this uh, in popular and scholarly literature, if you can call it scholarly. Uh,
1: the most egregious example The most this. egregious
0: example of this is Gregory Boyd's um, Crucifixion of the Warrior If you God. can't tell
1: by David's voice. <laughs> he is unimpressed <laughs> with Boyd's arguments. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, I am. Uh, I've yeah read it. Very unimpressed with his arguments. It, it's funny because his first chapter sounds like a chapter you and I would write. And then it just goes i will go south. Bonkersville. So anyway, and his argument is that, that um, God would say say something to Israel like, hey, you should go live in Canaan. Mm -hmm. And his intent was... Like, go be light there, like, mm-hmm. m- you know, hang out there. Image the
1: sacrificial love of Jesus by yeah. dying for your enemies and through that process you would take over the land.
0: Exactly, or like, or not even take it over. Just or go live there. Just go be a light. Just go, that's an yeah. evil place. You're good people, go be in that place. And they heard that and said, oh, well, the only way to go live in that land is to kill everybody there and take it and yes. then brag about it in our in our God documents. Like, yes. that's his argument. Yes, And that severely erodes the traditional understanding or even the biblical understanding yeah. of scripture. Um, what it does is it yeah.
1: says that scripture uh, really can't be trusted as an a th- as a place that we can understand God's thoughts clearly. That's right. It's not revelation. It's not revelation. Right. It's the it's the report of revelation through sinful means that's and right. our job as a reader of it is to kind of dig underneath the surface of the text yeah. to figure out the divine meaning.
0: They call they call it getting behind the text. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's one way to do it. I, I, I think that undermines <laughs> our view of scripture and a lot of Christians' view of scripture yes. and because it seems more pl- I'm trying to <laughs> it's like, I think there's an easier way to hmm. make sense of what everything that's happening. Like I believe, along with Timothy and Paul, that these are God's words. Yes. And they are for our building up and for our edification Mm -hmm. and for our encouragement. Um, And I don't feel the need to get behind the text in order to feel encouraged by it. Yeah, I
0: just need to get in the text. I need to get
1: in the text. Yeah. Um, So, and I think that's where where we want to land. If we get in the text enough... Is it encouraging? Is it good news? Do we have Mm. to abandon scripture in order to like make us feel morally better by our own standards of 21st century morality? And I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with killing innocent babies is wrong. Like, I mean, that's a pretty universal standard of morality, Mm -hmm. but... The, our reticence to engage in warfare are like the, the fact that we are not constantly, we don't have enemies on every side, that we don't live in a society where we're constantly at war with warring factions. Like yes. that all informs like the way in which we read these commands in ways yep. that we don't always recognize.
0: Being in a, in, especially for us, a, a white Western bubble makes reading passages like this far different. Yeah. Yeah. Than it would for people. And, and this so I time. think
1: what ends up happening in a lot of cases like Boyd's like they take all of our cultural presuppositions mm-hmm. and then say, Well, let's let's make our cultural presuppositions fit within the framework of scripture and behind the scriptural text are all cultural assumptions. That's right. And so I think the better course of action is like what are the Bible's cultural mm-hmm. assumptions? What does the Bible actually say? And then have the courage to be open minded enough to allow the Bible to speak on its own terms and not for us to speak on in our cultures terms. Yes. Make the Bible speak on our cultures yeah.
0: terms. And I think that should correct us on two fronts. One should be when the Bible confronts our cultural biases and says like hold on, you're made, like you you're you're offended here and there's a reason. It's cuz I'm trying to confront you with something, right? So like yep. when we talk about genocide or whatever. It's yeah. definitely going to be something that yeah. bristles and yes. it probably should. Um, the other side of that is I think maybe where people have swung from is god commanded it so i do it you know it's like a blind reading of Mm -hmm. scripture so and you
1: have that example in human history yes yeah yeah.
0: so yeah it's like we're trying to but when we say get in the text we mean responsibly and Mm -hmm. like what what why did god do this why did god actually command this why did joshua carry it out and why is it good news
1: I think oftentimes we use ex- stories like this as reasons to get out of the text or to be afraid of the text mm-hmm. or to like have alternate interpretations of the f- text. But traditionally, I think it hasn't been an under-reading or an over-reading of Scripture that has led to some of the abuses that we've seen right. in, the Christ- in Christendom. It's been the fact that we haven't engaged with it deeply enough. That's right. I think the Crusades are evidence of the fact that those leaders didn't read their Bibles deeply enough. No. Not that they... Held to them t- so tightly that that's caused them to do that. No, I think they were misreading the Bible right. to uh, affirm their own cultural assumptions. Right. It's
0: almost as if people who might fall under Boyd's camp are cri- are rightfully critiquing the Crusades and mm-hmm. saying you are baptizing your own bloodlust and yes. and inculcating God in that to give him to get his stamp of approval on this military campaign you want to go on. And like but that's what happened in the Crusades, yeah. But that's not what happened in Joshua. And yeah. so like he's importing his and problems with the Crusade, his critique of the Crusade, all the way over to Joshua.
1: Right. And he's using the same logic of the Crusaders, like people who are, would say like, no, 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 our our cultural understanding of this text is informing our reading of Joshua. Therefore, Joshua tells us to go to battle. Yep. Boyd says, no, our cultural understanding of the reading of Joshua tells us battles always wrong all the time. Right. So it's just a different form of yep. reading presuppositions into the text, That's but right. it's the same logic.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want to see something in the Bible, you can often find it there. Yes. Um,
1: and not like and not till like, I pick on Boyd. Like he, he represents a larger broad like body of scholarship that yes. is problematic and Right. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I've never met him.
0: I'm sure he is. <laughs> we would, like I said, we would see eye to eye on things like Christ and all of Scripture, um, like things about like mm-hmm. how violence should be viewed, and yep. like the he wrote a book called "The Myth of the Christian," Na- the Myth of the Christian Nation about America. It's really interesting. Oh, I haven't read that. But like, yeah, things like this are a little problematic.
1: So I, I think we can say then. So like, does it impinge upon our reading of scriptures? Not necessarily. Just because on the face of it, God commands. Joshua.
0: To do something that contradicts our worldview.
1: Doesn't mean scripture is automatically thrown out. That's right. It, I think it invites us into a deeper yeah. study of scripture. So really then the conversation that's on the line is, is God good when he commands something uh, like genocide? Okay. Uh, so the first thing we should just say is God never commands genocide. That's
0: right. Well, that's the question I wanted to ask you was, <laughs> yeah. what does God command? Because it's, I think one of the best things you should do when somebody brings up like a difficult question like this you know, it's like challenges your faith on something or challenges you something in the Bible. Be like, okay, let's go there and see what it actually does say. So yes. like what does, when you say God doesn't command genocide, Right? why do so many people think he does? What does he actually command? So
1: it, it's in Joshua chapter 6, the, the first, the, it's actually in Deuteronomy, and we've talked about it in our Deuteronomy podcast. Mm-hmm. But in Joshua chapter 6, uh, what he says is this. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. So that's that's what Joshua six twenty one says. Mm-hmm. And there's versions of that where it says something like uh, killed everything that breathes, um, totally destroyed. Yep. I think some Bibles may be translated annihilate. Okay. Um, so th- those are the words that are used. That's the phrasing that's used. So one, like, is that genocide? Right is that merciless are the people of Canaan innocent. Like the, 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 the claim that God is commanding the slaughter of innocent people actually imports into it a lot of categories that are kind of unfounded. Well, okay. one, genocide yep. assumes the cleansing of a particular ethnic group. Two, genocide uh, it, it assumes that the Canaanites were innocent. Right. Um, and, it, and three, it normally implies some sort of like superiority on the part of Israel. Uh, as the the dominant or superior Mm -hmm. race, subjecting a a lesser one. But none of that's actually true. Mm. Um, So so this is where we kind of get into like, what does scripture tell us about Israel? So Israel is actually the minority group. Right. And they are refugees. Yes. The Israel in this stage of their history are more like the Uyghur Muslims or the Rohingya Mm -hmm. Muslims who have been ousted from their homeland and are trying to get back into it in being oppressed by a larger power like uh, uh, like China, right? That that's. More analogous to the situation than uh, the idea of the Hutu and Tutsi Muslim, uh, mm. Tutsi Rwandans fighting each other over who is the who is superior. That's helpful. Like, I think
0: I think even just having like the Uyghur people in China in my head versus Rwanda in my head. Yes, is helpful.
1: Right, because what happens in Genesis twelve, Genesis fifteen, Genesis thirty two, God legally promises the Mm -hmm. land of Canaan to Abraham.
0: And his descendants. And
1: his descendants. And I can say legally because God said it. Yep. And
0: God owns the whole earth. (laughs) And God owns the whole earth. So whoever
1: he gives it to, it's a legal deeding of the land over to another people.
0: It's been theologically deeded to Abraham. And then later in the Genesis story, it becomes earthly legally deeded to Abraham.
1: At the death of Joseph? Sorry, Sarah.
0: At the death of Sarah. He buys a tomb for his wife.
1: Yes. And the text itself says, in front of all the Hittites. Mm -hmm. So in front of all the tribes of the Hittites, which is one of the tribes that Joshua's going to conquer, they have purchased Mm -hmm. officially deeded tracts of land in Canaan.
0: Yeah, and there's a whole weird scene about this in Genesis. We talked about this in our podcast Mm -hmm. over a year ago. Uh, And it's this whole scene where he's like, trying to buy this land and the king's like no you can't buy it let me give it to you you're you're a good guy we go way back he's like no seriously i have to buy this land with money (laughs) and he's like people read this like why is he so adamant about this just take the just take the deal he's like because there needed to be an exchange of goods to to have not only the theological ownership of this land but also the legal deeded ownership of the land
1: yes and this is even shown when abraham and Lot separate. And Lot, like, chooses one section of land and Abraham chooses the other. What does that imply? That Abraham had the right to choose which section of Canaan went to who. Mm. And Lot was asking for permission and Abraham gave that permission. Mm. So the arc of scripture up to this point is that, no, the land of Canaan legally belongs to Israel. Right. um, Both theologically and, like, financially and geopolitically. Mm That means that the Canaanites are actually trespassers on the ancestral homeland of an enslaved and oppressed people group, because God even promised Abraham that's like that is your land; it's legally yours, but you'll be a slave for four hundred years to the Egyptians before you can go and um, conquer it. Yep. And And depending on when you date the Book of Joshua, interesting fact: the Canaanites were the Canaanite cities they conquer depending on when you date the book of Joshua, might have been Egyptian outposts. Mm -hmm. So to go back into and take over those cities is actually a form of undoing the oppression they experienced at Egypt's hands. Again, that's like a dating question, which I don't necessarily am confident enough to do. Right. But regardless, Regardless. Israel is taking back land that's legally theirs, that's been taken over by an oppressive and larger group, and they are an oppressed minority trying to get back into their homeland. Mm -hmm. So is that genocide? No, it's not. Is that merciless?
0: Uh, I don't know if we I don't, don't know, no, know if that answers the question. What does? I, I think you've answered I think what you've done here with the geopolitical stuff with the deed and who gave who the land and everything like that, you've answered the question of like it it would be irresponsible to throw around the term genocide here. Yes. Because it just doesn't fit the category. Right. Is it the mass slaughtering of tons of people? Yes. Yeah. And that's what's still going to cause issues. Yeah. So like let's, let's table the genocide question. I think we've said it's categorically different than an ethnic cleansing from an oppressor to the oppressed. Yeah. And that's just not what's happening here. You have a beleaguered, um, oppressed people reclaiming their homeland from oppressors. That's right. So it's like, it's a, it's an underdog story.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Not colonialization.
1: That's exactly right. So I just think that's really helpful.
0: So this is not genocide. The the, the second question, uh, I, I'll save the innocent one to last, okay. maybe, because I think um, that yeah. Anyway, the second question then is who did they kill then? Right. Mm-hmm. Like who mm-hmm. who did they kill? I think is a really important question. Did they did they go into when they when they went into Jericho?
1: Did they actually kill all men, women, and children? Yeah, and who was
0: in the city when they went into the city? Yeah. I so, think those are questions I want to...
1: To help understand that, you should go back and read Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20 and Leviticus 18. Okay, Why? because those are the original places that God gives Israel the command to go and take over the land, and he gives them the reasons for it and how they're supposed to conduct con- like conflict in the land. Okay. And so one of the things he says uh, in Deuteronomy 7 is that they are supposed to utterly destroy those who are in the land. Uh-huh. But before he does that, he also tells them that he will go into the land before them and send hornets. Yeah. Which is a really strange phrase for us, but it's repeated a couple of different times about throughout the book of uh, Deuteronomy and it's kind of related to the idea of like confusion and terror. Yes, which so, is
0: a common thing God does to Right. Win battles. Yes. He confuses. That the... happens
1: in Gideon's army. Mm-hmm. It happens in uh, AI. It happens in a whole bunch of stories. Yep. Yeah.
0: God will just send something into the camp to make people start attacking each other or flee for no reason. Yes. Yeah.
1: And God specifically promises that he will go before they get there. Mm-hmm. And we have proof of this when Rahab says, all the inhabitants melt in fear of you. Mm. So the idea is that God has promised to go into the land before them stir up fear and confusion, and actually drive out some of the inhabitants before they even get there. Right. So this is promised in, De- in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20, and then it actually happens. When they get there, people are afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is confirmed as well by the fact that once Joshua takes over all these cities, in the beginning of Joshua, at the beginning of the book of Judges, they're all inhabited again. Right. So the question is, well, if God If Joshua utterly destroyed the Canaanites, utterly destroyed Jericho, utterly destroyed the Amalekites,
0: why are they still here? Why are they still here? Yeah, and there's two answers to the question that are typically posited by people who want to affirm Scripture. One is the argument you're building, which is... They were driven away. They were driven away, and then they matriculated back in. They kind of trickled back in. The second argument is the hyperbolic argument, mm-hmm. which is that when the Bible says utterly destroyed, it doesn't mean utterly destroyed. Yeah. It means like, dude, I devastated him. I wrecked him. I killed, I killed him. Yeah. Like how the, how the basketball game go. Oh, we killed them. You murdered the other team. Right. No, oh, we just we, beat them badly. We just
1: beat them badly. And there's some evidence to suggest that. Sure. I don't know if it's the most convincing evidence yeah. that we have, but regardless the, who is so the, if the question is, who are they? Who is Israel. Going to battle against. Yes. It's only the people that have decided to stay in the land after a prolonged divine campaign of confusion and terror on God's part before the army even gets there.
0: Yes. It's the obstinate. It's the, it's the, um, it, the it, fearless. It, it's the stubborn. The stubborn. It's, well,
1: Joshua will call them hard-hearted. Yes. Just like he called Pharaoh hard-hearted. Right. So what you actually, and we also have really interesting stories coming up in the few podcasts from now where mm-hmm. the kings of the nations will gather together to fight them in this coalition and they're yeah. described as hard-hearted. Well, at the same time, people like Rahab and the Gibeonites.
0: Have their hearts melt within them.
1: Have their hearts melt within them. And then they join God's right. people.
0: Just because this is another reason why it's not genocide. I don't want to step on episode six or, you know, or like chapter six or chapter nine. Uh, But like this is another reason why it's not genocide is because people of that ethnic group are given opportunities to receive free grace and mercy and be fully incorporated into the people of Israel. So much so that Rahab becomes a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Yes. So this is not like it can't be genocide. If the very first city they go into, we have this beautiful moment of salvation. it's not genocide it can't be genocide
1: it's the hard-hearted people that remain the land after god's divine campaign against them Mm -hmm. and then among those people there's still opportunities for grace and salvation right as is the case with rahab even caleb who initially went and spied out the land we're told that his mother is of a Canaanite canaanite descent yeah and then even when they had like the covenant renewal ceremony when they've like defeated AI. AI and Jericho, and we'll be in our next podcast, yeah. and they celebrate that God is given, giving them the land. We're told that sojourners and strangers are mm. part of the covenant renewal ceremony. So it's not the ethnic cleansing of a different nationality, race, ethnicity. It's God wiping out those who are hard-hearted against him and instituting a multi-ethnic people that are primarily Jewish right. to worship him in God's presence. Yes. That's what's happening. Okay. Not a genocide.
0: (laughs) Right. Not a genocide. Not every single inhabitant that used to be in the land was probably in the land whenever the people came to wage war against it.
1: Yeah, so it would have been like an abandoned land to some extent. To some
0: extent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely not abandoned. You get body counts. Yes, yes.
1: Abandoned, I've just meant like a good amount of people.
0: Some people left. Some people the left. The people who are there wanted to be there. Yes. That's all we need to say. Yeah. We don't need to like say how many people left, what percentage of people left. The people there were given an opportunity to leave and, and did not leave. And they
1: chose to fight God. That's instead. right. They
0: just, they, they chose to stand up against God. Yeah. And they lost. Yes. Um. Okay. Great. And I, yeah, okay. I want to add one more thing. Go ahead. So One
1: more layer to, so who is Israel attacking? Mm-hmm. We're They're also attacking the morally corrupt nation of canaan so back in leviticus again it kind of and deuteronomy it details the practices of the land of canaan and includes things like ritual uh, prostitution bestiality incest and child sacrifice yes and this was so rampant that it kind of borders on criminal oh yeah these are
0: these are like these are things that the un would be actioned on to go into a, a uh, th- there's a whole civilization of people who are murdering their own children. We need to go and in and stop this. scripting
1: their daughters to serve as cult prostitutes. Like, yes, this,
0: it's we would go stop this as yes. like um, like uh, there would be like American troops <laughs> yeah. that we would send in to stop something like this from happening. Can- like uh, in so as you want to get mad, and we need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Get mad about Israel killing children. You need to first be upset that Canaan was killing their children.
1: Yes. Yes, most certainly. That's exactly right. And what's fascinating is back again when God promises the land to Abraham, he says the reason you're not taking the land now mm-hmm. is because the sins of the Canaanites has not yet been filled up. Right. Which means he's, God is actually waiting until the land of Canaan is sinful enough to justify military That's action. Right.
0: They, up to that point, they hadn't deserved what had come against them yet. Yep. And so God was withholding that. And like...
1: In mercy. In mercy, a, yeah. and
0: giving people time to repent and change. And so when Israel finally comes in judgment and in conquest against Canaan, they deserve what they get.
1: They deserve what they get. We even have a story in Genesis 34 where mm-hmm. a Canaanite king rapes a uh, Hebrew daughter, yeah, one Dinah. One of Jacob's daughters. One of Jacob's daughters, Dinah. And then her brothers go out and attack that whole town. After and,
0: tricking them to be circumcised. Yeah, <laughs> after
1: tricking them to be circumcised. It's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy story. story. <laughs> uh, and then God condemns them for that. Yes. Why? Because the sins of the Canaanites had not yet been fulfilled yet, and military action on that level was not permitted. It was not just. It was not right. Yeah. So this isn't genocide. Who are we fighting? We're fighting the criminally, hard-heartedly, morally corrupt nation of Canaan who decided to fight God rather than flee for their lives.
0: Right. Yes. Uh, one last thing, I guess, to add on to that then would be that there's also a theological enemy like happening here. Where you and, and I, I don't like when when people talk about this as the only reason the conquest took place. There are there are theologians that do this, where it's that. You, back in Genesis, you had the Nephilim, and they intermarried. You know, mm-hmm. you had these god-men, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. angelic An- superheroes. The Anakim, the, Anakim yeah. the Nephilim, and they persisted. You know, into Canaan, and we have references of them. Goliath was one of them. Yeah, he was a giant. Yeah. Anytime you read a giant, you're talking about a descendant of the Nephilim, most likely. Yeah. And so these were like superheroes, you know, in a sense, like that yeah. were like half quote unquote fallen angel half fallen human and it was like not good and they needed yeah. to be driven out from God's earth they were they were right. an abomination
1: yeah they were representative of just how yeah the, the sinfulness of mankind right. in the divine realm like, that's right it's like the, and everything was broken
0: that they had all camped out in Canaan mm-hmm. of course they had yeah. if they're God's enemies they're taking God's land you know they're you know just like nana nana boo-boo, I'm going to take your <laughs> land too." you know that kind of thing. And so um, there's also a spiritual element of God conquesting his spiritual enemies, mm-hmm. uh, the, his demonic enemies in yeah. this conquest as well. So all of that is very helpful, but I, I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, and I'm sure our listeners are still thinking, but what about the babies? Yes, It still says that they killed young and old, and men, women and children. Yes. What about them?
1: So a couple, so a couple things. One, this is where the the hyperbole argument is 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 helpful for a lot of people. Mm. When we say utterly destroy, kill men, women, and children, uh, there are a lot of texts within ancient Near Eastern literature that describe that same. F- they use that same language, uh, but it actually doesn't mean that. It's just right. a way that we talk about it. it deci- I decimated my opponents. Oh, so right. you divided them into ten parts? No, <laughs> I like I, I like I. I, I I beat him 10, nothing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. So there, there's that. Mm -hmm. So it actually doesn't mean that God commanded the killing of children. It meant that the functional annihilation of that tribe. It
0: was a cultural idiom to talk about completely complete military victory over an entire city. Yes. Like, we, we conquered the men in battle, the women in their homes, mm-hmm. and by killing the man, we we cut off any possibility of them having future children, so we killed their children, yes, their potential children even.
1: The other side to that is there's also biblical evidence for that. And so there is... So one, we have it in here, uh, Joshua utterly destroys Jericho, mm-hmm. Ai, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the K- Canaanites, yep. and then they come back in right. the beginning of ju- ju- Judges. Right. So they... He didn't completely wipe them out well there's a whole yeah, bunch of people right. still left but that's but that's
0: that's shaky ground for me for the hyperbolic argument because
1: the, presumably they left the land that's right and then or came back. yeah
0: yeah for any reason the hornets god driving them crazy whenever they left or, they saw an army coming and ran away and mm-hmm. then came back to their city so like all of that makes sense another is like they you have canaanites in multiple cities and so they killed they utterly destroyed all the canaanites in one city and yeah, yeah, yeah. so people from other cities, other Canaanites from other cities came and populated that city again. Right. It's so, like, hey, free housing, you know? <laughs> like they, so right, right, right. Get, or like free fields. And they, yes. they come and take up the root there. The more
1: compelling argument for me actually comes from 1 Samuel when Saul is commanded to completely destroy, same words, utterly destroy, completely destroy, the Amalekites. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't except for a number of oxen, sheep, and the king, the king. Agag. Yep. Saul confronts him and asks him why he disobeyed the Lord's commands. Wait, who? Oh,
0: Samuel confronts him. Samuel confronts him, him yep. and
1: says, why didn't you obey the Lord's command? And, and then uh, the king, Saul, says, no, I did. I completely destroyed them except for these animals. And the king. And the king. And then when, as Saul, uh, Samuel responds to him, he never mentions Agag. He assumes the capture of Agag would eventually mean his execution. And he only references the animals as a... a um,
0: as the problem. As, as the
1: problem. So what you kind of have evidence there within the Bible of utterly destroying could include that or mm. couldn't include that. But even after that fact, and Sam, the story is Samuel uh, executes. Yeah,
0: Samuel ends up killing the king. Uh, but then in, he in, sa- Decimating him, cutting but him into a bunch of pieces.
1: But he also says... So that your mother may be childless, right? Assuming that his mother survives, so like per, that could just yeah. be a rhetorical flourish. Could be another,
0: yeah, turn of phrase.
1: The point is, there's contested evidence to say potentially mm-hmm. it's it's an idiom. Yeah. Potentially, it just means destroy in such a way that they're no longer military viable.
0: Right. That is a that is a viable option mm-hmm. that you, as a listener and a reader of scripture and a lover of God and a follower of Jesus, yes, can wrestle with.
1: Yeah, and I'm honestly still wrestling with that. It feels pretty convincing to me. I'm reading a book right now called Did God Really Command Genocide by Paul Copan and Matthew Flanagan? Mm-hmm. And he wrote another one called Is God, God a Moral Monster? And that one kind of deals with more issues than just this yes. one here.
0: Yeah, both really good works. Um, Super helpful. Yeah, I think we should talk about the other option The other, give, yeah, and give full breadth to it as well.
1: So the other option is assuming everything we've already said mm-hmm. that these are the hard-hearted people that yes. have remained in Canaan uh, who refused to repent. And just think about like that that leaving that exodus from Canaan because of God's hornets, whatever yep. those are. Yep. Like, if you have a family with small children and you hear about this encroaching army who's destroying all these major kings around you're you, you're going to run. You're going to run. Yeah. So the young and old children, like, so I want to say, like, the children element is probably fairly small. It, like, yeah, we, we hope to God. We like like <laughs> it doesn't have to be for the strength of this argument. No, it but doesn't. Just but presumably it should be, it should be fairly small. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All that's left is the hard heart in the land. And so the other side of this argument is that the language is not hyperbolic yeah. and that God did command the, the killing of men, women, and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's like, how is that okay? Cause I think, and yeah. I think there's still really good answers here. Yeah. Um, uh, I think one, uh, is let's, let's kind of point forward a second here and just, let's be equally offended. That's great. So let's point forward to chapter eight or seven, Mm -hmm. uh, seven in Joshua, chapter seven in Joshua, where Achan is guilty of taking some of the devoted things. Yeah. uh, In the battle of AI, he's broken faith with the Lord Mm -hmm. and he's found out and he is burned up and stoned along with all his things, along with his family, his wife. And it says his sons and daughters. Yeah. But he, they didn't do it. They, they weren't sinful and there's no, there's no, there's, the hype, the hyperbole argument would break down there. Yeah. His kids got killed and stoned yeah. to death by Israel at the command of God. Yeah. And so like we can try to like work our way around the men, women, and children argument, but yeah. like you butt up against it in other places in scripture. Yeah. Consummately.
1: Because I want to make sure we're yeah. real clear what you're pointing out. What you're pointing out is everything we said up to this point is true. Could it, yeah, right. It, this isn't a genocide. This isn't oh, right. yes. this isn't the merciless slaughter of innocence. Right. This is a hard hearted remnant. Yes. Who have sacrificed their children, done all these terrible things, and these are the remnant along with their families that are in the land. And to those people, God is saying, kill everybody. Yes. Kill everybody. Right. And it's only these people in the land of Canaan. Right. Nobody else. Nobody else. But let's even if all that's true you still have to deal with the command to kill children and And women and women in several cases. Yep. So how do we think about that even with everything else being true? That's right. And that's kind of what we're talking about right now. It's
0: exactly what we're talking about. And yeah, I'm just saying like you, even if you, even you're going to bump up into this in other places in the Bible, right? The sin of Achan and his children dying. And ultimately like when Jesus comes and like consigns people to eternal separation from him, which would be far worse than dying by the hands of the Israelites in Canaan, uh, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. Like it's just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to escape judgment. Yeah, you know, like you're like, and that's just something you have. We, we, we have to talked deal about with. this previously, where it's mm-hmm. like
1: if you're offended by the, this idea, you have to be offended by the idea that Jesus comes and judges, right? And there's a heaven and a hell at all. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I was
0: just like, so let's talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. I think the this question of, is God just to kill? Yeah. I think is really the question that people have trouble with. Right. Um, and to kill anybody, you know, like God's loving, he's not going to mm. kill. Right. And it just breaks people's paradigms of God. Yes. Um, whether it's in Joshua or in Revelation, mm-hmm. like this is a problem that yep. people have. Not, I guess people's too broad of a category. Yeah. That modern Westerners have. Yeah. That's, with... <laughs> that's true. Like the <laughs> idea that
1: God is wrong to kill somebody is a recent, yes, philosophical uh, convention in only part of the world. In only part of the world,
0: some people, our friends in Africa, listening to this, or some of our, we have we have a few listeners in in some like eastern parts of the world. They're like, I don't get the problem, right? Right, <laughs> and so uh, like they understand things like honor and shame, mm-hmm. and they understand judgment and death. Better, better than we better do. Better than we do. Yeah. Um,
1: They're closer to the Bible's context than these things that's than right they are. Yeah.
0: And so anyway, so, but it, it, that doesn't mean that we don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> right.
1: So, so yes. The really the really blunt way to say it is God can still be just and kill men, women, and children. Yes. That's the really blunt way to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also, in the, But there are also different reasons why those things could be true and not be true. Yes. I think the children one, we can say on one hand, like we also have other texts of scripture that talk about the fate of children. Yep. Um, one, the first one I think about is the Ten Commandments, mm. when it says honor your father and mother. And we assume that's talking like seven-year-olds, but yeah. it's actually <laughs> talking to grown adult children. To take care of their elderly parents. Their elderly parents. So like one, and I haven't actually seen a lot of scholarship on this. But when the Bible says children, who, who is
0: it talking about? Who is it talking about? Right. And
1: honestly, like, there's, that, that can mean anybody that's not married yet.
0: Yes, it can. It, yes.
1: And so that could mean that a lot of women took their young children out and that we're not really talking about infants, 10-year-olds, 6-year-olds right. at all. Right. Uh, but but even, even if we were. Even if we were, we also know from Scripture that God judges us according to our misdeeds. Yes, that's right. We don't have a God who punishes us unjustly. That's right, so if there was a moment in which God commands Joshua to kill a three year old mm-hmm. personally, I wouldn't expect to see him suffering eternally in hell. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like, yeah. I, if anything, I think there's grace here, yeah, right? which is if if God did command the killing of babies mm-hmm. of three year olds, um, and like we have other things that we've said here that's like maybe that didn't happen, mm-hmm. but if it did. I think there's still good news here that, like, uh, we believe that babies who die, children who die before they've reached a point of being culpable for their willful sins. Yeah. Like, will not be held accountable, like, before God. They'll be loved and forgiven and, like, be with him forever. Yeah. Because they have no reason to be judged yet, you know? And so, yeah. And so it's just like, you have these people. We can bank are, on
1: the mercy of God in that case. Yes, because yeah.
0: you, and, you, and the reason why that's good news is because you have these children who would have grown up in a Canaanite false religion. They might have been sacrificed themselves by their own parents mm-hmm. to some false demon god. They might have escaped the fires of sacrifice and grown up to be a Yahweh hater and Canaanite God worshiper. And then they would have been consigned to eternal separation from God. And so it's like, there could be grace here that God is saving children from ultimately eternally walking away from him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, I just want to name, like, it's hard for me to even hear that. Like, even like having studied this, Knowing the different options available to me, I, like I could abandon scripture and just read my own categories into it. It could all be hyperbole. It could be God is just to kill three-year-olds because he's just and good. And if he does right. it, it's good. I have a hard time with all of those options, yeah, including including this one. Yep. So it's like, I, I just want to be sympathetic too. It's like, if you're having struggling with this- You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> and honestly, I think you're supposed to. Yes. The book of... Jo- this doesn't repeat in scripture. No. What happens in Joshua never repeats. Well, it, it
0: only continues in... I, I mean, I mean uh, through David. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, do we have the utterly destroy commands in David? Yeah, oh, David do. does. Okay.
0: Yeah. In Samuel, you read about... He you know, he kills even men, women, and children as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And so you have to deal with this for a little while. But it does end. Regardless of when it ends in yeah. scripture, it does end. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, and I think, I think you're on to something here. Something we haven't talked about is why, sure, let's say, it's, let's say it's God's just and God's good, but why is it in here at all? Yeah. Like, why, God, why didn't God just drive everybody out by himself anyway? Yeah. Like, why did we have to do it this way? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel very firmly that it's because it's meant to disquiet your soul. It's meant to mm-hmm. melt your heart within you and make you fear a God who would judge the world. Yeah. Like we're supposed to be afraid. Like God will, there is a day appointed for judgment and like, we're going to stand before that judgment throne. And like reading stories like Joshua makes us know that our God does not take judgment lightly. Yeah. And like, we need to meditate on that as Christians yeah. We really do. We don't need to be afraid of God's judgment, especially as people who have his mercy in Christ. Mm-hmm. If anything, meditating on his judgment will make the mercy all, all that much sweeter and will make us appreciate what Christ did all that much more. Yeah, But it will also drive us out into the nations like the spies went to Rahab with that much more zeal to say, flee from the coming wrath. <laughs> like yeah. To be ambassadors like 2 Corinthians 5 says and begging people to be reconciled to God. Like In any great even evangel- evangelistic movement there has always been a compulsion from like wanting to save sinners from hell yeah, and that's become very demonized mm-hmm. lately yeah, yeah, yeah it really has and like um and I think like we'll we'll end up paying the cost for that at, like either as like we just languish in like zeal to share the faith like share yeah. our faith with others. Or, like, we just miss out on how great and powerful and just God is. Yeah. And, like, I, I we'll, we'll pay the cost for it, theologically, yeah. culturally.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I think if I'm going to put the, like, just vulnerably, and maybe we can't answer it, but just, like, why does God's justice have to be proven at the cost of a child's life? Mm. Like, why? Like, the point is made when he kills guilty Canaanites. I don't feel like it's made more clear when he kills a child, yeah, um, and like part of me, even as I say that question, is like, man, I I feel like I have enough good biblical evidence to say there were no children in Canaan, mm-hmm. and it kind of solves the problem for me. And I feel like I have a lot of good biblical evidence, even like we haven't even talked about this, but like the primary way that Deuteronomy and Leviticus and even the jo- Joshua talks about it is driving out the inhabitants. Mm-hmm. And he drives out the inhabitants, like uh, Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Joshua was driving out the inhabitants of Canaan. Like, I, I don't, like, I don't necessarily, biblically. Like, I think I can make a strong exegetical biblical case. Like, everyone in Canaan was guilty, um, and there were no children that weren't mor- morally culpable in committing bad deeds. I think I could get pretty close to there. So, like, why, why do I, why does God's justice need to be proven? What am I missing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I do know like, what you mean. Like, like why yeah. do I have to have? preserve God's justice to kill a child.
0: Yeah. I think part of that is, well, one, I think we've, I think we're conflating two things. So one is we're starting to ask the wrong question of, of God's justice. So we were kind of talking about how God's justice is a good thing Mm -hmm. and we need to see it here. And like, that's why one of the reasons why it's in Joshua, it's not the only reason the conquest happened, Mm -hmm. the conquest of the land. I wouldn't even put God's justice maybe on the top three. Yeah, God's like, dwelling
1: with his people. Yeah, there's a lot of cr- other yeah, things happening, yeah.
0: one of which is the purifying of the land, which is a concept that is just extremely foreign to us. Um, I mean, imagine the last time you read Leviticus, right, and how hard that was. It's because so much about it uh, of it is purity culture. And it's about like taking things that are unclean not like evangelical purity. No, no like, <laughs> not, no, like not this worth biblical the wait. idea of
1: like ritual purity, ritual like purity. An ancient idea of biblical purity. which like
0: we just really, I've, i racked, we racked our brains when we came up with the, the idea for the Leviticus video. Oh, to, to yeah. try, do we have any modern analogs for purity? Like, like clean spaces? Like right. not really. Like mm-hmm. we're like, it's hard to, it's hard to pray, uh, in the same bed you committed adultery. That was like as close as we could get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like that place feels unclean and like God wouldn't want to go there. Right. But like, it's not, it's not perfect. Cause God would still meet you there. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. so anyway, it's like, anyway, so there's this whole thing about like pure purity that's happening. The, and there's another thing that we're very far removed from that. Our friends in the East are just not far removed from. And it's family like headship and, and like mutual responsibility. We are an, radically individualized culture that you only pay for your own mistakes yeah you can't be held responsible for somebody else's that is not true for the way that the rest of the world views everything yeah you you bear the sins of your father and we can ignore that but like psychologists even in the west are being like i mean you're repeating the sins of your father you know and it's like it bears out in real life and um we and like even God Himself in the longest self-description of God by God in the entire Bible, which is in Exodus thirty-three uh, or thirty-four. He says, you know, My name is Yahweh, and you know, He's like, I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but who who, who will by no means clear the guilty, you know. And even says that like holding holding um, yeah. guilty the third and fourth generation. Yeah, and like there is a principle in in the way the Bible viewed the world that held children responsible for their for their parents.
1: Or and, at least the sins of the parents the were sins, transferred yes, onto right. Yes, the, that's a better way to view it. The like, guilt
0: of the parent is transferred onto the child, not that the child right. is is culpable for the sins of the parent. Right,
1: which is also the reason why like the children of faithful Israelites yes. were included in the covenant right. without ever being circumcised. Like Right. right you know, like, yeah. Or whatever. And
0: this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where you had two seeds... Like, Mm -hmm. genealogy is a huge thing for the Bible. Yeah. Like, who's your dad? Who's your son? These are really important things for the Bible because it's all tracing back to the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent whenever the human line was bifurcated into those who would be for God and against God. And here in Canaan, you have granddad, dad, and son all lined up, and they're all seeds of the serpent. And there's a promise from God that that seed will be crushed. Yeah. And so, like it's good when evil is crushed. And like, we have a hard time, especially we, we, we have a baseline in the West of human innocence. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way the Bible paints the picture of anthropology of who we are as people. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like apart from Christ,
1: apart apart from from Jesus. Yes. Right. We We just have a hard time
0: being like that poor, innocent child. And it's like, God can have a bigger view than that. Mm -hmm. And like evil is bigger than that. And like, you can have evil kids and like, that's really difficult.
1: yeah well what you're also what, what's helpful in everything you just said too it's like I think what I sometimes hear in the way this conversation happens is like we should see this as a reason to rejoice in the goodness of our God mm-hmm. rather than this is a reason to weep over the state of the world right And so I think that's kind of like uh, also what you're doing is like the fact that a child is included in this command, isn't to make us go see God is just. Right. Proof that God is just. It's like this is how far the world has fallen. Yes. And uh, and the the reason why I feel so it feels so difficult to hear it is because that's what you're supposed to feel when yeah. you're uh, this is not the way the world's supposed to be. This is not the way th- that justice God does not want his justice to be carried out on children. No. And like, that was not his intention no. from the beginning. He does not take joy in that
0: like um yeah i mean god says in jeremiah i think like he takes no pleasure in the death of the guilty yeah even the death of the guilty yeah doesn't mean pleasure he's not a masochist right but he is just and like yeah i think it's in the same way i'm thinking about like when you and i were doing the ecclesiastes podcasts mm-hmm. we would often get like we'd ca- be caught by our own tail yeah and yeah, we would yeah, just yeah. feel like we were swirling and we're like is it this or is it this? Is it A or is it B? I feel like I'm contradicting myself. And we're like, oh my goodness, we're embodying the point of yeah. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we feel confused about life. Yeah. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. You're supposed yeah, to feel yeah. that way. In the same way, we're like, I feel depressed about how yeah. horrible things are.
1: And, and I wanna like, yeah, and I wanna like talk about everything else except this. Yes. I wanna like not and that's what you're supposed to feel Yeah, it's you're not, like, man,
0: the world's not supposed to be this way. Yeah. This is really jacked up. And yeah. like, yeah, it is. But like, let the world be jacked up in evil, not God. Yeah. Like that's really important to be like, don't like the direction of your anger and frustration and sadness is being misdirected by the enemy whenever it's pointed at God. And you're like, I feel sad and angry when I read this. God must be evil. It's like, no, we are evil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are so evil that children, our children are being sucked into our evil. Yeah. Like let's mourn and lament and repent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like the response of the Canaanite would be like like there is a sense where it's like oh, uh, my children can do whatever they want. Mm. Like they I don't affect them. Right. There's a way to to say like I'm such an individualist and I'm so hardheartedly contrary to God that every, it's me and him, we're going to duke it out. And I have no, rep- like, it's almost a selfish way to view your family and your right. children as if your your posture towards God has no effect on them. But I think the, what you're saying, even with an individualistic, collectivist thing, no, your po- hard-hearted posture towards God has ripple effects down your genealogy mm-hmm. and, and into your family, and it's it's, it's... it's killing them. It's killing them. Yeah. And that's the, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see that bear out. You know, we do like in sexual abuse or Mm -hmm. alcoholism, anger, like whatever, like we inherit these things from our parents, you know? And like it, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And
1: I think, I think what's doing for me too, is like you you said earlier, it was like, it's the God kills children can be good news for us. And I'm like, okay, I think I know what you're saying, but I kind of want to like pull back from that statement a little bit and say like, um, The fact that God commands the killing of children, it should cause us to weep and hope for the good news of Jesus. Yes, that's better. And like, because the good news of Jesus is that all sins are laid on him.
0: On God's son.
1: On God's son. On
0: God's child.
1: On God's child. And all of our animosity, animus, hard-heartedness doesn't trickle down to our future generations. When they place their trust in him. Right,
0: exactly. Like, what Like, I quoted that God will hold, like, you know, back in Exodus, mm-hmm. God will hold the guilty, you know, um, that he'll hold them guilty for the third and fourth generation, but he says that he'll bless thousands of generations. It's like, when we meet Yahweh in the cross in Jesus, like, not only are we saved, but like we like thousands of generations after us, there's a ripple effect. Like I believe in Jesus because my dad believed in Jesus.
1: Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. because
0: his mom believed in Jesus because yeah. her mom believed in Jesus. We're,
1: I was doing second Timothy with our church the other day. And it's like your grandmother, Lois. Yes. and Your mother, Eustace, yes. a firm believer or Eustace. What's her name? I think that's
0: right. Eunice. Eunice.
1: Eunice. Eunice. like they're firm believers. And so are you, Timothy. It's like, there's like, yeah,
0: it happens. Yeah. Um, and so like they're, yeah, it, it makes us long for the good news. Like, it makes us, like, long for yeah the, the, the God know, child.
1: Yeah, to know that the conquest works the other way. It's not the yeah. destruction of the sinful. It's the welcoming of the sinful in Jesus Christ. Yes. And, like, yeah. that's what it makes us hope for. And it should make us hope for that. And we should feel uncomfortable. And we should feel like this shouldn't be there. Because it shouldn't be. Because the sinners are meant to come into the name of Jesus by his cross by his resurrection (sighs) there we so (laughs) have we answered the question
0: I have no idea Uh,
1: we got kind of lost but um, Uh, that was actually really helpful for me Yeah, uh, just personally
0: yeah me too I think I have you know I have like strong opinions about this I've been thinking about this for a long time Yeah, and I think I've even softened even through this conversation to some other points of view um, which is really good so, even with c- computer sounds, did you anybody hear that? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, yeah, uh, guys, again, I want to reiterate like, number one, think we're just talking here. So, yeah. like, we don't, we're not writing this down, editing it, and then being like, is this canon? Is this like inspired law? Like, yes. Show us a little grace as mm-hmm. we muddle through this, please. Um, and sen- and again, send questions. Send questions. This questions. is so what I'm podcast
1: getting, yeah. at I'm sure we didn't answer yeah, all the apple But I think it'd be question. really
0: helpful to be like what holes did did you find in our in our arguments? You just our, our dropped arguments? the word
1: God sent hornets and didn't really explain no, it. Right, right. <laughs> it's like so yeah, yeah. So.
0: and like what like like what what argue, like what argument is most helpful for you and why and what questions do you have because of it I'm curious like we want to hear from you so yeah uh, just uh, send us a send us a line podcast at spokengospel.com. thank you guys for for joining us today we'll be back uh, in Joshua next week Joshua six to eight the story of Jericho yeah story of uh, AI and Achan. a lot of these we wanted to do this episode first so that we next can, week we could yeah. actually because like, what's crazy is things. the
1: idea that God is committing genocide. It's nowhere in scripture. It's not. Even the New Testament authors don't think of this as strange or odd. We think of it as strange or odd. Yes. And so we really wanted to get all these issues out of the way so we can just enjoy the book of Joshua yes. for what it is. Like the good news that God wants to live with his people and cast out the enemies. Yeah. Cast out people who are hard heartedly disobedient yeah. and will corrupt us if they're still around. Like, right. Yeah, like there's good news.
0: Yes. So, uh, Thank you guys for being here with us this week. I know this was a, a rough episode, and we both feel it. We know you feel it, but we love you. Uh, we just, we're just praying for you. We hope you're praying for us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources, like this podcast, away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.